please turn to Acts chapter 4. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, as was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, said, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which became the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name that is given under heaven, given to men, by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the men who had, man who had been healed standing before them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows what they have done, an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer of anyone in this name. Then they called them again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help but to speak about the things which we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you have made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and to perform miracles and signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed anyone's possessions as his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy person among them, for from Time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and distributed it to everyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Thank you. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be here again in the Lord's house. It's good to be here with the word open. I'd like to, before we begin, just ask if you would join me in a word of prayer. Father, just now, come to you asking that you would speak, Father, the words that you would desire to have spoken here. Father, I pray for hearts, pray for ears, be attentive to hearing your word. I pray our hearts 
our minds, Lord, would be opened, that your Holy Spirit would teach us, Lord, the truths, the very truths you would desire for us to know today. May we listen expecting to hear from you. And we thank you that we have opportunity to open your word today together as a church family. I pray, Lord, that we would be changed as a result of our time in your word today. pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to begin by looking Matthew chapter 10. And then I'm going to read a portion of a parallel passage to kind of get us going in this direction where we're at here in Acts chapter 4. But in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is speaking, beginning in verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men. Beware of men. For they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, listen to this. When they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Flip over to parallel passage. Luke chapter 21. Just want to read a few of those verses. Similar idea, but a few different words expressed. Starting in verse 13, or verse 12, excuse me, chapter 21. But before all these things, you see, he's just talked about the signs of the times, end of the age. Before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom. Isn't that great? I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Jesus spoke of the days to come when his followers would encounter what James says, these trials of many kinds. There was going to come a day, Jesus says. And he spoke of how they were to conduct themselves before kings and authorities. And he reminded them that the trial was for his sake. To be a testimony to the Gentiles. He told them not to worry about how or what they should speak. For in that moment, the Spirit of God will be at work in them. The trials Jesus spoke of to come in Matthew chapter 10 and Luke 21. You know, these trials still come our way today, don't they? The charge to beware of men, still in order today, is it not? Are there not many today who stand in opposition to God's word? Many who stand opposed to his truth. Many who stand against anyone proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, remember in John chapter 18, verse 37, that everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And you probably remember that response from Pilate, don't you? What is truth? See, when men persecute you, when they wrongly accuse you, when you find yourself standing alone with the truth of the word, know that those on the side of the truth hear his voice. 
You will not be left wondering what to say, how to say it, when you side with Christ and his truth. That's encouraging. That provides hope. In Acts chapter 4, we find Peter and John in the midst of one of those trials. Beware of men. They will deliver you up to councils. Right? Matthew chapter 10. That very thing is happening right now. The words of Jesus must have echoed through Peter and John as they were apprehended. They're placed in custody overnight for, of all things, teaching the people and preaching in Jesus. Preaching in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. That's why they're put in custody. Well, the same Lord who opened the door preached to the crowd gathered at Solomon's porch, Acts 3. It's the same Lord who is about to open the door to preach to a group of people that needed to be preached to, the Sanhedrin. The Jewish ruling, governing body. This 71 member governing body of the Jewish people. And we've got to remember that Peter and John being locked up was of the Lord. Let's not feel sorry for them. (laughs) It was of the Lord. He was providing them an, an occasion for testimony. And you know what? In the Lord's sovereignty, Peter and John find themselves brought from prison into the presence of the governing body of the Jewish people. Looking around. Picture this. Looking around, they were able to see faces, perhaps many very familiar faces, and know the names of some of these men that were there. And they may very well have been reminded of that time when Jesus was before this group. Might also have been a time where they were reminded of what happened to Jesus. And wondering, is this our time? Are they going to do the same thing to us? Well, you look at Acts 4, verse 1, and you see that some of the religious leaders of the day were actually on the scene, the text says, as they spoke to the people. Okay? So they heard what was coming out of their mouths. They heard what was being preached. And the text says in Acts 4, verse 2, that they were greatly disturbed over their preaching and teaching. Now, this group, the Sadducees, that were on hand to hear, they didn't like it too much that Peter and John were talking and preaching In Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. Because you see, the Sadducees didn't believe that. (laughs) And so they were especially disturbed. So much so that they acted by laying hands on them and putting them away for the night. Acts chapter 4, verse 3. But praise the Lord for the insertion of Acts 4, verse 4, for it breathes life into what seems to be a very bad news situation, right? Serves as the very encouragement needed when these trials come. And it says, however, many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Now, verse 4 is one of many what I would just call summary verses in the book of Acts. The placement of this particular summary is significant because it's placed right in the midst of pending conflict, opposition, uncertainty. Isn't it like the Lord to provide his truth, to provide his hope, his breath of life right where it needs to be, alongside Peter and John, in the midst of their imprisonment, in the midst of their trial. That's where we see this summary verse. And some of you here today might be saying, yeah, it's a great summary verse, but that news doesn't change the situation that they're in. They still find themselves locked up. You're right. It didn't immediately change their situation. But it is evident 
of a change taking place among those who heard the word preached. It's also evidence that the Lord's working in your life does not mean, let's, let's be clear on this, does not mean immediate escape from your current trial. The Lord's purposes, church, are not primarily concerned with your personal comfort or pleasure. But with the very things that will give him great glory. God's not done using Peter and John. I don't believe God's done using you either. See, he's placed you in a particular context. He's placed you in a particular place to give testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're reading about Peter and John some 2,000 years ago. But this word is relevant for you today, right here, right now. He has you somewhere, and he wants to use you where he has planted you. Take note of that. See, there seems to be more work, more words needing to be spoken. And there awaits a Jewish Sanhedrin to hear the words of truth. And someone, someone here might say, well, you know, that's great that the Lord gives these apostles a platform to speak to the Sanhedrin. It's great. But all that does is get them a little more upset. They get Hot, furious. It's not putting out a fire. This seems to be adding wood to the fire. And here's my response to that. As you keep on reading in the book of Acts, you'll see that the Lord's purposes include suffering, persecution, even martyrdom. As bad as that sounds to our human way of thinking, know that it is this persecution, this martyrdom, persecution, martyrdom, trials. These very things advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as the gospel advances in Acts 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, through the regions of Judea and Samaria, it does so fueled by trials and persecutions. Odd, perhaps, that it happens that way. But that seems to be the pattern here in the book of Acts for the gospel truth advancing. And I'll go so far as to say it's not just a pattern in the book of Acts, but I believe it would also be true that even yet today, where there's persecution, where there are trials, the gospel moves forward. Keep that in mind as we go through and continue through this book of Acts. Acts 4, 5, and 6 calls the reader back to attention to what's going on. So we had a little summary verse there in verse 4. And now we are snapped back to attention of the event that's taking place. It came to pass on the next day. came to pass on the next day. So what we have here is an account of what happened the next day, the day after they got thrown into prison. Put in custody. Now, after reading verses 5 and 6, I, I got to thinking about what was going on during the night. Did you ever consider that as you read the text? I wondered what was going on during the night. I wondered what was going on from Peter and John's perspective. I also wondered what was going on with the religious leaders. I mean, what do you do when you're locked up for obeying the commandments of God? What do you do? That's, that's what's going on here. They're being locked up. They've been put away because they're preaching in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. You know, most of us here, we have no idea of what it's like to be locked up for preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. 
How do you respond to God, though, when trials come your way? We do share trials in common. If we have not shared this very thing of being locked up and put away for preaching the name of Jesus, we do share in common trials in general. And how do you respond to God when those trials come? You know, here you are, you're doing your best to be a witness to Jesus, to be his light in the world around you, and yet a trial sets you back. Something happens in your life that puts you into a holding pattern. Where's your faith in those moments? What are you doing with your time in custody? (laughs) Are you plotting and planning how you might get out? Or are you trusting in the Lord with all your heart, leaning not on your own understanding? Well, we can also think about the governing authorities. What did they spend their time doing that night? The text is, is essentially silent on how they spent that time. I tend to believe, though, that word got out about what Peter and John were doing. Look at who's present in chapter 4, verse 1. Right? You've got the priests, captain of the temple, and the Sadducees. Now look at verses 5 and 6. There seems to be a larger contingent present on the next day. Why? can't say for sure but I tend to think that those who heard Peter speaking relayed the information along now they didn't have email or any of those fancy social networking things that we've got today but I imagine that there was some rigorous chain of communication happening throughout the evening a meeting in the morning was going to happen if you're connected with the high priests If you're a ruler, if you're an elder, if you're a scribe, whatever your role might be within the ruling body, there is tomorrow an urgent, mandatory meeting. The name of Jesus is being preached again. This must be dealt with. So, verses 1 through 3 point out that opposition to the word preached. Verse 4 is that summary verse of the harvest God brought about through his preached word. Verses 5 and 6 continue the account, providing a roster of those in attendance. The big names, the high profile people. They were all there to question and hear what Peter and John had to say. And so now, with everyone gathered together, you, you just, you just kind of, the climax is building right here. Everybody's gathered together. And verse 7 When they had set them in the midst. Think about how intimidating that could have been. They ask. They ask a question. By what power or by what name have you done this? So with Peter and John in their midst and everyone now looking on the question By what power, by what name have you done this? In the original, it's interesting because the you is in in an emphatic position. It's, 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 It's actually at the end of the sentence if you look at it in the original language. So really there seems to be a question behind the question being asked here. So not only by what power or by what name has this been done, but also a bit of belittling. Who are you? To do such a thing. Who do you think you are? It's right here where we need to remember something about Peter. There was a pause in the study at this point this week. And the Lord reminded me. Of Peter's life. And how the gospels provide us. With a record of his denials of Jesus. Remember that? On three different occasions, Peter disowns, denies Jesus following his arrest in the garden. And confronted with questions, he answered out of fear and denied his Lord. The text says that he wept bitterly upon hearing that rooster. 
Luke's gospel tells us that the Lord looked at him. His opportunity to testify of Jesus had passed him by. Fast forward to Acts chapter 4. Christ has died on the cross. He's been buried. He's been raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He spent 40 days breathing life into his disciples, speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Christ ascends back to be with his Father. And then the promised Holy Spirit arrives on the day of Pentecost. And so the Peter who stands before the Jewish council on this day in Acts chapter 4 is much different than the Peter confronted with questions at the end of the gospel accounts. One of the difference makers in the life of Peter is the power of the Holy Spirit in him. Look at the text. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. We can underline that one. Because much of this text here this morning is tied to the words coming out of Peter's mouth being filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and you know, I'm, I'm grateful for how God inserted this phrase into the text. It's as though he wanted the reader to know. Before Peter's words are actually recorded, he wanted the reader to hold on, put your seatbelt on, get ready to hear this, because what's coming out of his mouth is of the Lord, of the Spirit. You know, there's a principle here. There's, there's a word of instruction, I believe, right here. Being filled with the Spirit is intended to impact your speech. Yes, your motives, your thoughts, your actions, but right here we see impacts the very words that come out of your mouth. Have you considered that your words can serve as evidence for the Holy Spirit in you? And on the other hand, it, it, it may be helpful to consider that your words can serve evidence that the Holy Spirit's not present in you. It could serve evidence that your words are giving testimony to either operating in the flesh or operating in the Spirit. Words. Peter is about to speak. You ever thought about the number of words that you speak in a day? Perhaps we speak too many. The proverb writer, chapter 10, verse 19, says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Have you considered that the condition of your heart shapes and forms what comes rolling out of your lips? Proverbs 16, 23, I like this. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. <laughs> or are you diligent to guard the words that come out of your mouth? Do you see a need to guard what comes out of your mouth? Proverbs 21, 23. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Do you see the connection and impact between a wise heart and right words that go forth? Proverbs 23, 15, and 16. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart will rejoice. Indeed, I myself, yes, my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak right things. The Lord has given to you two ears. Young people, put your hands on your ears for a moment. Two of them. He's given you two ears. And he's given one mouth. That in itself ought to be instructive for us. Right? Amen? 
Two ears, one mouth. And James, I, I like, and we're going to hear this later today, but James 1.19, somebody here has, let every man be swift to hear, slow to what? Speak. Now, the counsel to be slow to speak, let's be clear, does not mean refrain from speaking. There are times when the truth of Jesus Christ must be spoken. There are times when you have been prompted to speak a word on behalf of the Lord, and you can't define perhaps all the words necessary, but you're certain the Lord would have you speak up. You see, everyone on the side of truth hears his voice. The Lord who gave you your mouth desires that you use it for his glory, use it to proclaim his wonderful works, Use it to build up. Use it to edify, to encourage, to bless one another. Use it to speak truth to one another in love, Ephesians 4.15. Use it to share with others how marvelous and wonderful the Savior's love is toward you. Incline your speech to what the Lord would have you speak. Well, Acts 4.8, Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. So let's, let's be clear that the words that follow are characteristic of one filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice what he says. Notice what he does not say. Notice how he communicates. Notice what he says in addition to answering the question. I'd love that. Notice the order, the precision in his words. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what he said to the ruling body seated around him. Rulers of the people. And elders of Israel. Well, right out of the gate, we can just simply see this. He's respectfully addressing his audience. Even though he does not agree with the charges against him, he is respectful of the position of authority. He doesn't just start coming out hurling accusations against them. He calls them by name. He addresses them respectfully. If this day were judged for a good deed done to a helpless man. Now, right here, practically speaking, he identifies the charge against them. A good deed done to a helpless man. That's what we're being examined for. If that is why we're judged, that's why we're standing here before you. If you want to know the means by which this former lame man has been made well, and you sense the tension in the room, building, as Peter is going here, and you get to verse 10, and then it comes out. (laughs) It comes out. Let it be known to you all. I, I don't know, I can't help but think when Peter was speaking this, Peter was not just standing there talking. You all, he scanned the room. You all, let it be known to you all. To all the people of Israel. So not just the people here. What I'm about to say, this ought to be made known to everyone in Israel. This is a from a grammar perspective, this is important. I'll just put this forward. It's, it's, an, it's an imperative present tense. It's, it's implying, let it be known, not just today. Let this be known. Let it be known. And let it be known. May it keep on going. The truth I'm about to share is good for today and for the days to come. The truth that I'm about to share is good for all of you as well as all of Israel. Everyone needs to hear this. So what do they need to hear? Peter provides the answer to the question right here in verse 10. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. By him, this man stands here before you whole. Now, Peter spoke in Acts chapter 2 about Jesus. Remember that? Remember he pointed immediately to the prophets and looking at the prophet Joel. But then he goes back and he points to Jesus. And he points to the life and the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Showing to the people. Helping the people understand what they were hearing and seeing. Remember the Holy Spirit had arrived. 
They were confused. They were, bit, they were wondering, what's going on here? What is this? And so Peter explains to them the downpour of the Holy Spirit. This is what it is. And he begins by taking them to Jesus. And he connects Jesus to what they're experiencing. He shows them in the Old Testament and links the Old Testament. This is what's been talked about in the Old Testament. But he points then to Jesus, directly linked to the life of Christ. And then at the beginning of chapter 3, Peter and John encountered this lame man. And Peter says, silver and gold, I do not have, but what I give you, I'll I'll give what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, verse 6. Now, we need to note here, this healing, you know, sometimes Jesus would, in his healings, he would have them, you know, spit in the ground, make some mud and slap it on them, and, and, and they would go and they would be healed or go wash in the river or, or he would do different things. This particular healing here that Peter and John are involved with in Acts chapter 3, in the name of Jesus Christ, That's it. Rise up and walk. Then shortly thereafter, the crowd, remember, gathers together. They run to them at Solomon's porch. They're amazed at seeing this man who was lame, who had always been there, the gate called beautiful. He'd been laying there, and he'd always been a beggar. And now here he is. He's holding on, not letting go to Peter and John. And he's walking around. He's praising God. And they're amazed once again. And so Peter responds to the crowd's amazement by once again explaining the situation. And once again, the situation is explained in Acts 3.16 in the name of Jesus. The healing has come through faith in Jesus. Now here they are having taught the people in Acts chapter 3. They're standing trial for preaching in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. The question comes in verse 7, by what power or by what name have you done this? Peter has already answered this question a couple times. He's ready for this one. He's ready. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, he's especially ready. You see, church, we need to understand that the power and the name, the question is by what power or by what name? The power and the name, they go hand in hand. Amen? They go hand in hand. They're connected one to another. If you are in Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And that here, the Spirit of God comes with power. The Spirit of God comes with power. And that power is given for a purpose, Acts 1.8, to be witnesses to Jesus. You know, I was thinking about this, this power and how the Spirit of God comes with power. This past week, you know, many of you know we moved in. We're trying to get things settled. And, and I went out this past week and bought a weed whacker. I had one, but it was, a, um, it was an electric and I had to plug it in. Well, I, got, I actually have some land now. And so I can't, like the extension, I have extension cords all over the place. So, like, it would probably be a good idea just to get a new... So I got a cordless one, all right? So, I got, so it's, a, it's a battery charge. I have to have batteries to charge the thing so that I can go out and do what needs to be done. Now, the instructions call for charging the batteries after each use. You know, I need, I need the battery to make the thing go. You know what? I was thinking about this. I could have the finest-looking weed whacker in Markleville. Maybe the only. I don't know. But if there's no charged battery, it's not going to be very effective to accomplish its purpose. The charged battery makes the weed whacker useful. Amen? It makes it useful. It makes it go. And and, and church, I want to have a useful weed whacker. I want it to work. Because there's some weeds. Praise the Lord. The Holy Spirit dwells within us Forever, John 14, 16 says. He does not need to be recharged over time. He comes with power. He continues with power. He's everything you need to be sanctified and useful to the master. That's good news. That's good news. That ought to be an encouragement to each one of us here. So, so how is it then, taking that, how is it then that the believer in Jesus Christ can lack power? <laughs> I mean, picture it. 
I, going back to that weed whacker, I mean, liking it to this weed whacker without a battery. You know, this church, you know, it looks good, you know, does some good things, says the right things, but there's one problem. She doesn't have any power. The Spirit of God comes complete with power. That power is manifested. Think about this. That power is manifested in how you love others. Joy in you. Peace. Long-suffering. Goodness. Kindness. Gentleness. And self-control. You see, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, it's evident. Isn't it? You notice it. It's powerful. But its power, get this, its power points toward a purpose, or shall I say, a savior. The fruit of the Spirit is intended to highlight Christ. Your usefulness to the Master is predicated upon not simply producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, treating it as some kind of checkbox but manifesting the fruit that others might get a glimpse of Jesus and see the difference Jesus makes in their lives. The Holy Spirit in you is not power for the sake of acquiring power, but power to witness to Christ. So, Peter says that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Interesting that he inserts of Nazareth here. You ever think about that? Remember back in John chapter 7? You know, not only is he identifying more clearly this Jesus of where he's at, location of Nazareth. I think there's something more beyond that. He's essentially putting before them that despised name back in John chapter 7. Remember they were having this big argument, you know, over you know, the, the, the guards were supposed to go and arrest him. And they came back and they're like, we've never heard a man speak like that before. And Pharisees say, are you deceived? And they get into this argument and at the end of it. They answered and said, are you also from Galilee? Search and look. No prophet has arisen out of Galilee. So Peter inserts, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The one you despise. The one you don't believe. To be the son of God. To be the Messiah. This Jesus. You might have noticed that I skipped over a few important phrases in verse 10. I, I wanted to put the main clause together and initially here, but, but don't worry, we, we haven't left out the other parts. Even these words, these phrases, are characteristic of being filled with the Holy Spirit. That first phrase there when he says, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. This Jesus is the one you handed over to be crucified. In case you need further explanation of who this name is, he's the one that you killed. Now Peter's already put this out. He put it out in Acts chapter 2. He's put it out already earlier in Acts chapter 3. And he rolls it back out here in Acts chapter 4. Whom God raised from the dead. Whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus, going back to Acts 2.23, was delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. God raised him from the dead. And so that power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power at work in me and in John and in all who by faith Bear the name of Jesus Christ. And as he's speaking those words about God raising him from the dead, I hear Romans 6, 4 being played in the background. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You see, the power of the Holy Spirit is evident in a changed life. It's seen in the life of one who walks a different way now. He's now under new management. He now walks in newness of life. The old is gone. The new has come. So Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, is speaking of the very thing he's been walking out. He's speaking the very thing he's been walking out. 
the explanation for what happened with the lame man is Jesus. Through faith in his name, this man, this man standing right here before you, he was right there. They could see him, this man standing right here before you. He's been made whole in the name of Jesus. So now being filled with the Spirit, Peter goes on. He's answered the question, and he could have, could have halted his words at the end of verse 10. Right? I mean, the question, he answered the question in verse 10. This is where I, I especially enjoy it. You see, when the Holy Spirit is working in you, and we have clue right here, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. The words sometimes tend to bubble over. They just keep coming. And I was reminded of John 7, 38, when Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. They just flow. They just come. So Peter's answered the question, but he's flowing. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is working in him. And now is going to connect this healing with salvation. Notice how quickly and how well he makes this connection. First of all, in verse 11, Peter connects his answer from verse 10 to the scriptures. The scriptures. I love this because he connects it to the source. These, these people would have known. People that were gathered around, they would have known the scripture. So he points them to the scriptures. Verse 11. This, speaking of Jesus, this Jesus I'm speaking of, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. By the way, you can find that in Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23. Paul writes later in Corinthians chapter 3, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And then I was also reminded of, of Romans chapter 9, 32 and 33. For they, talking about Israel, they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. You see, they rejected this stone, Christ. They stumbled over him as builders. And if that's not bad enough, the scriptures also speak of this stone having become the chief cornerstone. If you're a builder and do not have in place the chief cornerstone, you are essentially out of alignment. I was looking in a Bible dictionary this week to try and help you all get a handle on this cornerstone. It says it's a stone placed at the corner or the intersecting angle where two walls of a building come together. In biblical times, buildings were often made of cut, squared stone. By uniting two intersecting walls, a cornerstone helped align the whole building and tie it together. So, Peter not only identifies the stone as Jesus, but he points out the fact that they rejected this stone. If he is the chief cornerstone, what is it that Peter is saying here? Being filled with the Holy Spirit, what is being laid out here before the religious leaders? You crucified Jesus. God raised Jesus from the dead. This Jesus is the stone you builders rejected. This Jesus has become the chief cornerstone. If they rejected the stone, which now has become the chief cornerstone, where does that leave them? Let me ask it another way. If you have been rejecting Jesus, who today remains the chief cornerstone, where does that leave you? Out of alignment with Jesus Christ. You see, we need to understand all your good deeds acts of service, kind words. If you do not have Jesus, the chief cornerstone in your life, 
It's a life out of alignment. It's built on sinking sand. And the Bible describes such a person as foolish. It's all going to come crashing down. The things you're building your life upon, the things you think are going to last, they're going to crumble, they're going to burn. You must rightly build upon the chief cornerstone of Jesus Christ. Only then, church, only then will your life make sense. Only then will your life have any sense of purpose. So what he alludes to in verse 11, Peter makes clear here in verse 12. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, listen to what he says. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So, if the religious leaders had rejected the stone, and that stone has now become the chief cornerstone, where does that leave them? Out of alignment with Christ, yes. But more pointedly, what does that mean? What does it point to? Notice how quickly the Holy Spirit navigates Peter's speech from speaking about a physical healing to a spiritual healing. And in their case, a need to be healed spiritually. In case Jesus as the chief cornerstone is confusing, Peter, filled with the Spirit, says, nor is there salvation in any other. There is no salvation in any other. Not only is he the chief cornerstone, but he's the one upon whom salvation rests. He is the one. And, And that is going to be hard and difficult for his listeners there. Because you see, Peter is saying, doesn't rest upon Moses, doesn't rest upon Abraham, Jesus himself, right? They taught and they pointed about the Christ to come. John 5, 46, if you believe Moses, you'd believe me, for he wrote about me. You see, you can fill in the, the blank with any name that you'd like to, but if it's not Jesus Christ, it's futile. Salvation is not found in any other name. Look how Peter turns it around. For there is no other name under heaven, by which we must be saved. And this echoes Jesus' often loathed self-declarative statement, John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. And you know what? On this particular day in Acts chapter 4, I'm fairly convinced apart from the truth of what Jesus delivered while he was walking the earth. I'm fairly convinced that that no man had ever laid out the truth with such force to this group of religious experts. They heard the answer to their question. And they heard the answer to their greatest need. They heard an answer to a question they weren't asking. Church, there are so many people today that are asking questions, but they're the wrong question. And no doubt we need to try to be helpful to answer those questions. But we also need to be reminded of the text here of what their greatest need. What is anyone's greatest need? And to be able to channel, and funnel, and navigate our words toward that end to help them to see that. We understand our role, our responsibility is to preach Christ. God is the one who opens those blind eyes. But nevertheless, we must speak. Well, the text is going to continue next week. I believe verse 12 is is a fitting conclusion. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter speaks the truth. He holds forth Jesus as the answer to the question. And he personalizes it by confronting them with the very scriptures which they profess to believe. 
and declaring to them the only way of salvation. Salvation is found in no other name but Jesus. So being filled with the Holy Spirit. May those here today in Christ be encouraged to speak as he leads them. Pointing others to the truth found in Christ alone. You see, some of you here today, I'm convinced, have put off Jesus. You know about him, you know a lot about him, but you put him off. You set him aside. You too have rejected Jesus as the chief cornerstone in your life. You've been building on your own foundation. You've been seeking to establish your own righteousness. You have yet to submit yourself to the righteousness of God, Romans chapter 10. You find yourself today in a wandering state, lifeless, without purpose perhaps, cold-hearted toward God and His Word. Some of you are pretenders and you know it. Some of you are entrenched in rebellion against God. And to this point, you've been okay with that position. You'll never experience peace, the peace of Christ, that peace is different from the world. You never experience that without dealing with the sin in your life that separates you from the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. The good news is this. God has already accomplished the work necessary through His Son, Jesus, at the cross. In His body, He took upon Himself your sins. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And God began that reconciling work through His Son, Jesus, at the cross. The Bible says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, may be speaking to you this morning. Faith, saving faith, comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. May the Holy Spirit apply his word to your heart this morning. May he convict and exhort you where needed. And may he bring about his desired purposes in your life as you start building your life upon the chief cornerstone of Jesus Christ being filled with the Holy Spirit. May your words come forth with the power of the Spirit, reflecting in all things the name of Christ. I'd like to just close. We can bow our heads. We can sing together this chorus. Many of you probably know. If you don't know, you can just bow, listen. Speaks of no other name. No other name. No other name but the name of Jesus. No other name but the name of the Lord. No other name but the name of Jesus is worthy of glory and worthy of honor and worthy of power and all praise. No other name. Father, I pray we would remember that. There is one name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name. 
than the name of Jesus. Pray, Father, that our words, just as Peter's words today, oh, Father, I pray that our words would be filled with the Holy Spirit. May they speak your truth. May they exhort, convict, encourage, build up. May they be represented by that fruit that's found in Galatians 5. Father, may we desire to be used by you. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for this wonderful salvation that you have afforded to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen.